Hi, my name is Katherine Gallagher. Jan Pesson. And this is Bitchin' About Food. I need to slow that down when I say that, Jan. I noticed in the other podcasts, it sounds like, hi, it's Bitchin' About Food. It's Bitchin' About Food. That's the name of our podcast. Thank you for joining us. We have a great guest today, Lynn. But before Lynn, we have a little housekeeping to do. Jan, what what on earth were you thinking when the last time I, the the couple of times when it was just you and I recording, I kept referring to your grandniece, but it was actually your niece. Jordan is your niece, not your grandniece. And the baby is the grandniece. And I had it all confused. Uh And you didn't say anything. You were just like, mm-hmm. And then we both get home. We're like, oh, shoot. I kept calling Jordan the grandniece, but she's the niece. The other thing that happened is um, we kept messing up the restaurant names. It's Casa Grisante, Grisanti, Casa Grisanti in Louisville, mm-hmm. and Joe Sonkin's. Gold Coast Restaurant. Gold Coast Restaurant. Yeah, in I thought Florida. it was. Florida, yeah. I thought it was Slotkin, and you thought it was Slotkin, and your sister was nice enough to send you a menu on. Yeah, my and- brother also texted me to let me know how <laughs> badly I had mispronounced everything. So Everybody's thank you. Us. Anyway, I just got back from o- uh, not Oklahoma. I got back from um, Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska, where I was a wedding officiant. And I need to bitch about the food there for a minute because the bride and the groom, their parents did the most Herculean effort in getting everybody fed at this wedding. The idea was to have a pie party. The bride's parents drove from Chicago all the way to Omaha, uh, pizza from Chicago, because that's the bride's favorite pizza. And then the groom's parents ordered pizza from their local pizza place. And the idea was that the pizza, we would compare what the pizza was, but the person who really also did the most Herculean cooking job was the groom's mother. Uh, She had breakfast for everybody at one point, and I was fasting because I wanted to look good in my dress, and so I wasn't eating anything. But she had so much food. I thought she was making like an egg casserole and a couple of muffins. Oh, no, no, no. She had like cereal, egg casserole, French toast, torts, yogurt. I mean, I I should have written it down because we do have a food podcast. Unbelievable. And then the the actual wedding the actual wedding ceremony she was also in charge of the appetizers and i because i had been fasting all day i was starving and she she put out an appetizer that was like crostini we've had this a million times crostini and goat cheese and honey and walnuts and i don't know what it was but i could not stop eating these crostini people would come up to me and they would say oh you did such a nice job. And I'd be like, oh, thanks. I'll be right back. And I would go over and I would cram another crostini in my mouth. And she had so much delicious food. Uh, it was just unbelievable. I'm I mean, just want to go back for just a quick second. So fasting for a day <laughs> so that you can look good in your yes, I want- dress that yeah. evening Yes, I, like makes all the difference. Well, yeah, because no. if I eat, I, I you know, it, it it, I, I feel you like blow I'm, up like a beach I whale. Feel like I'm, I, I feel like I'm bloated. Yeah, I feel like I'm bloated. And if I don't eat anything, then, you know. I oh, s- so it's a mindset. It's not an actual yeah. physical. No, reality. it's an actual physical thing that happens too. Like I feel like I bloat out. I bloat. Trust me, by the end of the wedding, after I got done with all those crostini uh-huh. and the pizza, I looked like I had five beach balls under my dress, like two boobs, my wow. stomach, and two ass cheeks. And I put on my coat to hide my sins and I went back to the hotel. Wow. <laughs> There's an image that I'm never going to get out of my head. Okay. Anyway, enough of that. What yeah. else? What other housekeeping do we have to do? I think um, that's it, right? Did I mention that my sister sent me that cookbook? 
Oh, I yeah. remember when I mentioned that. Oh, yeah. So the, the Betty Crocker cookbook for kids, my sister Pam uh, was nice enough to find it and send it to me, the original one from 1957. Oh, my God. And it is some of those pictures. It brought back a lot of memories, <laughs> but some it? of it looked pretty mm, yeah, scary. The, the pizza. What you? How did you describe the nuclear. pizza? Nuclear. It looks like, nuclear. It looks like a nuclear disc uh -huh. sitting on a thing. Anyway. Anywho. All right, well, let's move on. Please welcome Lynn Woohoo! Woo to the podcast. Hi. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks, Thanks for, for coming. Thank you for having me. I want to have Jan picture, picture yourself standing mm. in the doorway of a Salvation Army store mm -hmm. or some estate sale, and you look around and you see nothing but piles of crap, like old toasters and old beach towels and old Easter baskets and Christmas trees, and you become totally overwhelmed and you go, what am I doing here? And then Lynn walks up next to you and goes, hey, how are you? Oh, look at that. And she'll walk way over to the back of the store and pick out some little teeny thing from a very obscure shelf. And she'll say, oh, this is a Doyle Lane. It's worth like a lot of money. And I'm like, what? Like Lynn has, like Dean, they both have the same gift, this laser-like ability to walk into a room and zoom in on the most fabulous thing in the room. And one time I told that to you and you said, I like beautiful things. That it's was true. what that's and you have this ability to see the most beautiful thing in the room. It's unbelievable. So please welcome picker, grinner, lover, sinner, antique stealer, uh, store owner extraordinaire, Miss Lynn. Now, Lynn, let's first do like what's the name of your store? What's the name of your Instagram website? Everything we want people to get to you and buy stuff. My store is Design Utopia. It's located on the way to Paramount Studios in the heart of Hollywood slash Los Angeles slash Hancock Park. Nice. I have been doing this 23 years. Oh, my God. So I have a fantastic collection of vintage anywhere from 30s to postmodern and whatever else I find interesting. I'm on Instagram at Design Utopia Hollywood. I also sell oddities on Etsy. Uh, my name is I Sell Stuff 2, T-O-O, -O, because someone had already stolen the other I Sell Stuff 2. <laughs> when you say oddities, what is that on Etsy? What does that mean? Well... I buy things that appeal to me that may not necessarily have an established secondary market. For example, a George Nelson bench, bench has a market. But I'll just pick up something because I think it's cool. Like one time I picked up Op Pop wrapping paper and I owned it for five years. And I finally said, I'm never going to wrap a package in this wonderful, wonderful fabric. But before I throw it out, I will stick it on Etsy, and it's sold within 24 hours. Uh -huh. That's what I mean by oddities. Got it. Okay. Things that lurk around your garage or storage unit, and you think to yourself, eh, and then you put it up there, and off it goes. And then you told me about another website just now called Cherish. Cherish is a website that focuses on interior designers and people decorating their homes. Post-pandemic, less people are shopping in stores and more online, and Cherish operates as a clearinghouse for them. So another way to do big furniture and things like that is to put it on there and then say someone in New Hampshire must have your dresser. They purchase it on Cherish and Cherish takes care of everything. They come by and pick it up and they drift it over to New Hampshire. What? And it's done. <laughs> That's great. So wait, yeah. you can't, can you put something on Cherish and Etsy at the same time? Can you cross pollinate? Yes and no. Cherish um, feels that they are curated 
So they will reject some things. Etsy rejects nothing. I mean, obvious, obvious things. So yes, the answer is yes and no. Yes for many things. Some things only belong on Etsy. It's a different buyer for a different market. And it's a different eye looking at it. Yeah. Just like, and you have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have beautiful things. Thank uh, you. Go to Instagram and follow her if you want an introduction to Lynn's stuff at Design Utopia Hollywood. Fabulous. All one word. But we're not here to talk about stuff, are we, Jan? No, we're here to talk about food. Let's bitch yes. A, let's bitch about food. Yes. So I was telling Jan, the first time I met Lynn, 18 years ago, uh, you were doing something called the Master Cleanse. Yes. And yes. I was like, what's that? And so it was... I mean, it worked for a lot of people. It was uh, water, lemon, cayenne pepper, and maple syrup. And mm -hmm. that's kind of what you did. Did you eat? No, that was the food. No, that's what you do. And I have to tell you that I had a guy working for me who had a girlfriend that he was in love with, and they both did a master cleanse at the same time. And I said, Eric, you're crazy. He's like, no, no, no. It's really cool. You have to try it. So I said, I don't know if I can go three weeks without food. Is that how long you're supposed to do it? Well, you can do it in variations. But I chose the three-week one. And I said, okay, I'll try it. But if I collapse on the side of the road, you have to rush pizza or a steak to me or something. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to die in this effort. Pizza or a steak. Or something. So um, I tried it, and I was really surprised. Now, I have to admit, I didn't do this to lose weight. It's also designed to kind of clean out your system. And so I did it for that reason. And I was really surprised that I was able to do it. It was really interesting how my body felt not processing food for three weeks. How did it feel? Um, lighter. It was doing less work. It was kind of refreshing. It was an interesting thing. And every time you got a slight headache, you'd just drink more of the master cleanse and it would go away. And when you end the master cleanse, in this part you will like, um, Eric was like, well, no, no, you have to step back into it. You have to go with clear broths and vegetables. And I'm like, no. And I went out and got a steak. And my body was like, thank you. Where has it been? And that's why I knew I was an omnivore and not a vegetarian. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Vegetarian. Um, uh, but wait a second. Did you, have any, did you have any kind of a weird reaction? No. I mean, when you went right back from lemon juice and syrup to steak? No, and that's my point. Um, I will tell you that I also ate pizza shortly thereafter, and I did have a reaction to the pizza. And it kind of changed my relationship with pizza forever. Oh. But the steak was... Right. It, yeah. Yeah. Well, the pizza had gluten, no doubt. That had Gluten and the it. cheese. Jeez. But once it hit my intestines, it was no... It was like it was like a wrench went in there and just started turning. Eee. And I'm not saying I don't like pizza because I do like pizza and I still eat it, but I have a very different relationship to it now. Well, you have a very different relationship to food now. Yes. Because the master cleanse is so 18 years ago, Jan. Here's the real question. <laughs> Jan, here's a question. When you lose weight, where does the fat go? Where do you think it goes? Off of me. <laughs> <laughs> it leaves. It leaves and goes somewhere. Where? Into the atmosphere? Yeah, I guess. No. I don't know. It's like, where did it, when we die, where does it go? I don't know. Well, okay. Let's not... Absorb somewhere. <laughs> it doesn't... Okay. This is a book called Big Fat Myths that Lynn told me about a couple of years ago, and I tried to buy it, and it doesn't exist anymore. It's out of print. It's out of print. And so you can get an online version, like an ebook, which I have still on in Amazon. I was looking for it today. It's still sitting in my Amazon 
basket or whatever. Uh, and I found it to be the most impossible book to understand and read ever in my life. So I said to Lynn, what the hell's up with that fucking book? It's freaking book. Sorry. Um, and she goes, now nah, you have to have, the, you have to go on eBay and find a hard copy somewhere because you really have to hold it in your hand and cross-reference it. But the whole premise, I'm going to read the little, I'm going to read the blurb. Okay. Most people assume that food turns into heat and energy, but Albert Einstein shows showed us that diets would be devastating if this were true. The correct answer is that fat is converted to carbon dioxide and water. Energy is released, but no mass is created or destroyed. Um, and he talks about the first fleet. Uh, it took the author Ruben Meerman to show that precisely 8.4 kilograms out of every 10 kilograms. I'm going to turn my page here. <laughs> I can't get the face to turn. Christ, this is really uncomfortable. I can't get the face to turn. Here. Wait. Hi. Okay. God. Um, take it easy, will you? God, you're, you're such Just a, read it. Will. <laughs> will. It's 12.01. And Jan goes, where's Will? I go, it's 12.01. Relax your crack. Oh, my God. Okay. Just read it. This was known, uh, it took the author to show that precisely 8.4 kilograms out of every 10 kilograms of fat are exhaled, while the remaining 1.6 kilograms become crystal clear water. His calculations were published in the British Medical Journal in December of 19, uh, 2014. And it goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. But I want to hear about the science of this. This is hard. Well, you know, what's interesting about this, first of all, Ruben is known as the surfing scientist in Australia. So he's a surfer. And he's a scientist. What? And he teaches middle school children science. So he has a certain charm all of his own. Okay. Is he still alive? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He's yeah. He's alive. He teaches. He's he's got he now has a website, by the way. Oh. Um what I found interesting about this whole concept and what blew me away was the fact that fat leaves through our lungs. Nobody ever told me that. Louise Papa George told, uh, yeah, Louise told me that a long time ago. She said, when you work out and you exhale really hard, your fat, fat is leaving. Oh. But my point is, if you're lying in bed unconscious, your fat is still leaving via your lungs. From the moment you're born till the moment you die, you're exhaling fat. Really? Regardless of what you eat, what you don't eat, you're always exhaling fat. So that's where it goes? Yes. Yeah. Hyperventilating does not help. Okay. okay. <laughs> Just thought I'd try that. Jan started hyperventilating <laughs> in an effort to <laughs> do a weight. quick weight loss program. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. So anyway, right. so that's, I'm going to, I'm not a scientist. I was telling Jan, I'm a poli-sci major. I remember my science grades. They weren't amazing. They were competent, but they weren't amazing. Were they Fs? Because that's what we got. No, yeah. no. Okay. I was a solid B student, okay. but I was not stellar. But what happened was I got my hands on this book and I read it with a highlighter like 500 times. Who told you about the book? I was reading an article and I, I will do a shameless plug for a newsletter called The Conversation, which you can sign up for for free. It's a wonderful, wonderful resource across a pile of academic platforms produces a wide variety of articles. They're very interesting. That's why I wound up with them to begin with. And this article literally popped up in my feed. And I was like, I don't know where fat goes, but okay, I'll read it because I've been losing the same 40 pounds for mm, the last 40 years. Okay, fine. And that's how I discovered it. And the article sort of implied that you needed to weigh your food and then 
that weight would determine how much fat you would lose. And I was like, hmm, okay. So I tried it and it worked for a little bit, but then it kind of stopped. So then I got the book and then I started reading and then I read it and I read it again and again and again until I finally figured out what they were talking about Yeah, was the energy density in your food is what is the most important thing because you're always losing fat. So that means a certain amount of energy density or carbon dioxide leaves your body. So you match what you're taking in, count up the energy density versus what's going out, and therein lies the solution to the problem. So this is the problem that I encountered in that book because you have to somehow figure out the energy density of everything you eat. Yes. Is this like Weight Watchers where they make you weigh everything? Is that You weigh things, but you weigh it in the context of calculating the energy density. So, And there's like a formula. Yeah. It's a like really a math simple. formula. It, it, uh, I would call it less than math because my math grades were less strong than my science grades. So this <laughs> is a very uncomplicated formula if you want to do it this way. So for example, I had a baguette with butter for breakfast. It was delicious. It was from La Chouquette on Melrose. I highly recommend it. Anyway, what I did was I cut the bread and I stuck it on the scale and it weighed, I think, 52 grams. Okay. French baguettes, I don't know if you know this or not, have very little fat in them, like none next to a lot of others. So the energy density of wheat is 0.38, so I multiplied that by 52. I therefore got the energy density of the bread I was eating, okay? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then I put Jan the- and I are theater majors. <laughs> That's okay. Let's just start there. Very simple. Then uh-huh. I wanted butter on my baguette. So I put butter on my baguette. And I put it back on the scale and I ate 12 grams of butter with my baguette. So I multiplied my 12 grams times butter happens to be 0.64 and I got that number of energy density for that. I added that plus the bread and I had an energy density of whatever, let's say 25 grams, 25 carbon credits, okay? And I put that on a list and I added up. And that's what I do with food. Now, when I first started doing this, I was exacting. I've been doing this five years now. Uh, there's a little more wave to it. But wait a second. Yes. I, I, have to, I have to interrupt because what do you do with that knowledge? Do you then work out? Nope. You just add it up. You add up what you eat during the day. Energy density wise. Yes. And... There's another thing you do, and this is on Ruben's website now, but I actually figured it out from the book, where you take how much you weigh right now, how old you are right now, and um, how tall you are. And then he asks the question if you're doing a keto diet or if you're not doing a keto diet. And that's a way of determining the respiratory rate because everybody has a little bit of a different respiratory rate which you can either go into some science thing and figure out, but he's done a little calculation that kind of tells you. And that gives you the number of, that gives you the carbon credits that are leaving every day, regardless. So for me, at five feet tall, if I'm lying in a bed unconscious or in a hospital room doing absolutely nothing for 24 hours, I let go of 114 carbon credits a day, period. If I get up and do household chores or in my business, lift and move furniture and do, you know, whatever, or general stuff, you know, you work in an office, you get up, you move things, you do stuff like that. It's worth another 30 carbon credits. So you add that to 114, it's about 145. Just for an example, you take that number and then you compare it to what you're bringing in. 
Okay, so with my bread, let's say it was 25 carbon prints. That's 25 versus the 142 that's leaving. Okay. So the goal is to not exceed what's leaving. Or be right around there. Because what happens to your body, and this is the other thing that's interesting. Your body does this automatically from the moment you're born until you die. Okay, there's no exception to this, whatever. Once you have done all of this stuff, your body is doing an internal adjustment. Once it goes into your mouth, you don't have to think about it again because your body's not thinking about it. It processes it. It takes care of everything it needs to take care of. Approximately 70% of the food that we go, that comes into our mouth goes towards basic systems maintenance. Think of it as the Starship Enterprise. It's all the stuff that gets done to make sure the engines are rolling, the lights work, everything is functioning and stuff like that. Now, your body is designed to keep you alive no matter what. So it uses up what you bring in. If you have not brought in enough, then it goes to your reserves, which we call fat. That's how you lose weight. If you take in more than you need for any reason whatsoever, your body doesn't just toss that away. It says, that's fantastic. It's Christmas. And it stores it. And that's called fat. So the problem for most people living lucky enough to live in a food area where we have food, regardless of what your opinion of it is, there is food. Yeah. We simply have too much food around. And your body is not designed for an environment where there is just nonstop food. It's used to there not being food. The reason it stores fat is because it assumes you're not going to find anything to eat tomorrow. And I usually use the phrase, think of it this way. If civilization died tomorrow, there's nothing here. Just think about around here what you might might find for food if you were lucky. Maybe some citrus, maybe some loquats, avocado, catch a fish. That's how your body thinks until you die. It doesn't think any other way. So you can basically eat whatever you want as long as you figure out energy density. The energy density. And this was the jewel in the crown for me because that meant I could dump all that stuff about good and bad food. I always eat healthy, Catherine. I've always eaten healthy and I've never had any problems with my health, but I don't have to feel guilty about eating an Oreo or what have you or this or that because of the energy density. In terms of fat, I'm not talking about health. You may have other issues about eating sugar and things like that, but in terms of fat, no. So... At this point, Jan, I'm going to interject and say that, how long have you been doing this? In June, it will be my fifth year. Yeah. So four years ago, Dean came home and he said to me, holy crap. He goes, I was at the sale and Rigo, who's another friend of theirs, was there. And Lynn came up and was talking to us. And then Lynn went away and Rigo said to Dean, Who's that? <laughs> like he knows Lynn. Mm. And Dean goes, That was Lynn. He's like, What? Like you were unrecognizable to Rigo. 70 pounds. Wow. 70 pounds, and you have not gained it back in five years. No. That's fucking unbelievable. And it feels like magic in your body because it what it feels like is I finally got an owner's manual for my body. And it feels like magic. Because even when you have a day like it's a holiday and you eat lots and lots of stuff, of your, like your, what were you eating in the wedding that you thought was like crack? Oh, my God. Christini's? Christini. Christini, yeah. So let's say you mainline Christini's for the entire day and it made you so happy, okay? And the next day you said, oh, I really took in a lot of energy density. And you went back to counting and went back down to whatever. Your body responds immediately. 
Your body operates like the accounting term first in, first out. Do you ever go off of it? Do you ever? It's not an offer on. It's an organic process. Yes, there are times when I eat piles and piles of food. And I say, okay, I ate piles and piles of food. I never lie to myself. And that's kind of key. I never, if I feel the need to eat a box of Cheez-Its because Cheez that emotionally makes me happy, then I will go ahead and eat the Cheez-Its. I'll say I ate a lot of Cheez-Its. And that's what I write, that's what I write down. I'm like, ate a lot of Cheez-Its today. I'm like, hmm. I do kind of think about how my body feels about it because the more you do this and you get the owner's manual, your body starts to give you information. And it tells you exactly how it feels about stuff. So before when I was going on diets, I would feel I would feel like I was a bottomless pit. I would eat stuff and then I'm like, I have to have more and more and more and more and more. With this, because it's all about energy density, I eat to the point where my body says, you know, I think I've probably had enough Cheez-Its for right now. So when you when you first okay, so the first step is to actually calculate based on your respiratory rate. That's what, a really simple thing. What yeah. you're outputting yeah. every day. You, yeah. have to, you have to calculate more or less. But it's really simple. You put in three numbers and you get a number and you go fine. So let's say that number is 150. Yeah. Okay, 150. Carbon credits. Carbon credits you exhale every day. Yes. The goal is then to take in 150 or less carbon credits. If you're trying to reduce your fat, yes. Well, if, if you're, you're trying to lose weight, yeah. as we like to call it, yes. So if you take in 140 credits mm -hmm. every day and mm -hmm. you're exhaling 150, then there'll be a gradual decrease. Right. The only other thing that affects this is what energy you put out. So, for example, can, I have. Oh, yeah. Can you increase your. Yes. There are only two things that affect this what comes in your mouth and what energy you put out. So, if you go like hiking, like Dean does for eight and a half hours, yeah. that's a pile of carbon credits out. When I ride my recumbent bike at home for an hour, I get 30 carbon credits which I can either use to eat more food, my personal choice, or I can use it to decrease the number and, you know, take off more weight if that's what I'm trying to do. So how do you determine how much, how do you determine what those carbon credits are for, ex for exercising? There's a really interesting website that I'll have to look, get you the name of, because I think Google owns it now. It used to be maintained by the University of Arizona. And I believe it's called the MET. And it tells you, are you sweeping the floor? That's five carbon credits. Are you doing the laundry? That's three carbon credits. Are you taking a walk at a relaxed place? That's X number of carbon credits. And it, it lists it out. Do you, did you do yoga? Blah, blah, blah. This amount. But that's not in this book, Big Fat Myths. He references the website as of that date of publication. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm pretty sure Google owns the thing now because the last time I went to go look at it, and I also cross-referenced it with stuff I was willing to do. Like they're, like hiking for eight hours may get rid of a ton of carbon credits. I'm not inclined to do that on any kind of regular basis. I am inclined to get on my recumbent bike and ride. I will yeah, do that. that's what I do every day. I'll stuff. do a walk. I'll do, so the whole point of this thing and what I love about it is you start with what you are, what you eat, and what you're willing to do, which is the complete opposite of a diet, which is can you comply to this? Yes, I can comply. Do <sighs> you see what I'm saying? Okay, so <laughs> you see what I mean about how hard this is? No, because I, 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 okay, it depends. I'm the kind of person who isn't going to do any kind of mathematical equation to figure out anything. It's just not in my DNA. DNA. It's okay, it's not. I know. I'm, uh, I'm really lazy, and I didn't do well in math. So for me, I'm terrible at math. But I yes. just, I just won't be bothered with that. But the gist of all of this is to lose weight. 
you don't have to be on a diet. Correct. Period. You just, it's commonsensical, really. You're just eating less, basically. Yeah. And, and moving more. And you're also aware of the energy density of what you're taking in. Because a lot of things have energy density that you may not think of as having a lot of energy density. And that's the other thing you pay attention to. Like salad dressing, that kind of stuff? Salad like dressing has tons of energy density. Why? Because it's oil. And any oil is 0.77. And most American women get their their fat from salad dressing, by the way. And the overexposure to omega-6s as well. So like the difference between the fat in an avocado, which is very healthy fat, mm -hmm. right? And a, a salad dressing. All fat is 0.77. All Whether it. it's beef fat, bacon fat, human fat is 0.77. Not that you're going to eat it, but all fat <laughs> is 0.77. Mm. Butter is 0.64. I happen to know this because it's on page blah, blah, blah of this book. But that's what I mean by starting to becoming aware of the energy. And, you just, and the other thing is to make sure you're eating stuff that you already eat. Because lots of times we lie to ourselves about what we're eating. You know, we, we say, oh, I just had a few chips. Well, no, you didn't have a few chips. You had like a lot of them and they're really energy dense. So you have to weigh everything. I did it first. Um, Not anymore now, but I mean, in the beginning, you have to weigh Yeah. At everything. first it's good though, because it gives you a discipline to understand exactly what's coming in. Because lots of times when we're on diets, we don't understand why we gained weight at all. And it's because too much food came in, but we don't see it that way. You know, you know, like hummus, delicious, very energy dense because of chickpeas and on the olive oil and stuff like that. Well, what was the what was the revelation that you were eating too much? The revelation was that the energy density is what matters and nothing else. That was the revelation. Because if you're if OK, but here's my issue in any kind of situation. Um, hunger. If you're. Here's the interesting thing about this. I've never been hungry doing this. I calculated the energy density. I ate what I wanted, but I've never been hungry because that was one of my rules. I'm not going to be hungry. And I'm also not going to not eat foods I want to eat, if that makes sense. Yeah. And the interesting thing about this is once you start tracking energy density, the hunger thing kind of takes care of itself. Your body will tell you exactly when you're hungry and what you're into. So this is more of also like a psychological journey where you have to be willing to listen to your body. It's like a diet detox. What I found one of the biggest challenges was with this is that I've been dieting since mm, puberty, 15, 16, whatever. So there's all this information that we take as gospel for diets, which had to go like from, what? from good to bad food. Because technically, from your body standpoint, if it gets nutrients out of it, it's food. It's not good or bad. It's food. So the judgment that's placed upon certain foods in diet yeah. culture is gone. Yeah. So what's the energy? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> the energy, energy density. Jen of... wants to know what the energy density of an eclair is. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, sugar. I want to know. Is sh like sugar. Sugar is, I mean, here's the thing. A lot, of, and this is a fun fact that um, I learned from a PBS thing, um, from a PBS thing that was amazing. Um, when you combine fat and sugar and usually like wheat and stuff like that, that's like a triumvirate of energy density because the sugar has energy density, the wheat, all wheat is 0.38 and, um, the fat. Okay. And there's a reason we crave that. And we all do. If you look at any recipe that you make, it's always about half sugar, half fat. Yeah. 
And there's a really good reason we crave that. And do you want to take a guess at what that might be? No. Tastes good? Yes, it does taste good. Gives you a, a certain elation? Yes, it does initially. that too. It does that too. But? The number one reason you crave it, that first of all, that combination is really rare in nature. It doesn't really exist. It exists in recipes when we make it. There's only one place in nature that you can find it, and that's mother's breast milk. It is our first meal. Oh, wow. And that is why we are biologically wired to crave it. What if our mom bottle fed us? It like doesn't matter. The mixture is the same, unless the kid was on one of those crazy experiments when they wound up with eczema from not having the right combination. Yeah. I was on soy milk because I was allergic to milk. I think that explains a lot. But that is the reason we crave <laughs> that mixture. That's interesting. And it's biological. Yeah. So the next time you see an eclair or a cheesecake, you're not crazy <laughs> because your body is programmed to, to want it. Well, let's talk about that. Speaking of breast milk, let's talk about, so you grew up, where did you grow up? Upstate New York. Okay. And you have one sister? Um, in many ways, I was an only child, but I also have three half sisters. Okay. So yeah. And so in your house, when you were growing up, what was the food situation? Who cooked? Mom was not really a great cook. <laughs> okay. Um, on my mother's side of the family, nobody was a super great cook. My dad's side of the family, my grandmother was an amazing Southern cook. So we were all from Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And so everything is on the menu that, from that. Okay. But on my mom's side of the family, and she li we live one, one town over from my grandma, um, I was raised in a Sicilian-American Italian neighborhood. So fresh bread, manicotti, cannelloni, all of those kinds of things, okay? Okay. So it was a combination of those two things. So she wasn't that great of a cook, but how did you eat when you were a kid? Did she just whip something together or did your dad? She cooked. And not great. I, yeah. I learned to cook at a young age and I learned to bake at a young age because- I did too. It, it turns out I'm a foodie. Yeah. So I really like good food. So it turned out I could make things that tasted better than she did. So I did a lot. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, that's interesting. I cooked early on, and you did too. You, no, you baked early on. No, I didn't. I, I have the Betty Crocker cookbook that I had when I was a kid that my sister just sent me. <laughs> yeah, actual, she, that's she, a good cookbook. cookbook. She has it in her purse. It's From, so funny. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, There's a picture of a pizza that our friend last night said looked like a skin disease. <laughs> it actually looks nuclear. It's, <laughs> Kind of wacky. Um, and I tried to make one of the recipes, the gingerbread cake, which had like a cup and a half of molasses, which I didn't. And then I was going to the bathroom quite frequently. And then I looked up and it used to be a home remedy for constipation, molasses. Molasses was the number one sweetener in the United States up until about 1850 or 1860. Interesting. But don't you think part of the obesity epidemic in America now is because of the infiltration of the sugar industry and the corn industry into every freaking thing we eat like the 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 yeah i i think that might be a contributory factor but from a i want because i can't speak about systemic issues but from a one-on-one -on -one standpoint we simply eat too much yeah we really do. and and we're wired to do so and we're wired to do so because our body assumes there's going to be a lack of food but our minds are telling us there's not why, are, why can't we listen to our minds? Why do we follow what our bodies tell us? Because your body's on autopilot from the moment you're born until the day you die, and it only has one directive to keep you alive. It doesn't care what's going on upstairs. <laughs> what it cares about is making sure the motor runs, you can breathe, your heart is functioning, and all of those. That takes precedence over everything else. 
And so you can have these conversations. It's kind of like why diets don't work because you're sitting there trying to talk yourself out of an eclair when your body's like, excuse me, is that an eclair over there? And your mind is like, oh, it's this, that, this. And it's um, your body's like, I want it. Get it for me now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I like when if I go grocery shopping and I buy a bunch of stuff, especially if it's crap, like chips or cookies or anything, it's like I cannot wait to just open every single one of them. I want to open every single one exactly. of them, which is why I normally don't buy that stuff. But, but what happens if you exceed? Like if you eat the box of Cheez-Its and then you eat again and again and again in that day and you realize that you've gone way over your carbon credit limit, then do you counteract the next day by not eating? You know what? I wait until I'm hungry again and then I just start counting again. It's a very organic, so you kind of just loving reset. Process. Once you get because, hungry, you reset. Yeah, the body, the body is—it's like magic. I can't explain it. But I mean, but don't you think there's also like an emotional, like for me, like when I was young, if I went through like a bad breakup or something or a really horrendous emotional experience, I had no interest in food. I think there's a mind-body connection too with food. Like yes, like if you're having a really tough time, sometimes you don't want to eat anything. And I don't know, it's interesting to me because now I'm seeing all these things for Ozempic and that other weight loss drug. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, is that a good idea to take Ozempic when you don't have diabetes just so you can lose weight? Eh, I can it only offer my opinion, but that would be a no. But I'm not a drug person. But I think that learning to pay attention to your body and what it says is the solution to make you happy. But that's the challenge for America. I agree. Like, who's paying attention to their body in America? Nobody, which is why there's all kinds of people running around. I also think that too much weight contributes to health problems. Absolutely. Which, if you just start paying attention to energy density. When I first started doing this, I literally went on the Forbidden Restaurant Tour because I didn't believe it. I read the article and went, uh, no, I don't believe this. So I ran off and whatever I was having, Chinese food or fried chicken or whatever, and I just started weighing it and was like, okay. And then 26 pounds went away while eating that stuff. And I was like, okay, this might have some merit. And that's when I went back and read the book another 32 times. So yeah, you do have to keep reading that book. It's well, until it makes sense to you. But once you figure out it needs to come in your mouth, if you're below a certain amount, you lose weight. And if you're above, it, your body stores it. It's very simple. So if you're out at a restaurant or out with friends or out wherever, mm -hmm. like how do you weigh food? Well, when I first did it, I just took a scale and asked for an extra plate when I first started doing it. Oh my God. And it was, it was fine. The waiter was like, okay. And I was like, okay. And all I did was write it down. I didn't do judgments and I didn't do any calculations. I just said, oh, I got chicken cacciatore and it weighed 300 grams. That's all I did was write it down. That was all I did. And then when I went home that night, I kind of calculated and went, oh, wow, okay. I had that many carbon credits. Afterwards, now I don't really, I don't worry about individual meals and I don't, um, I don't obsess about it because it's not an obsession thing because your body is completely in charge of it. So what's the difference between the way you eat now and the way you used to eat when you were 70 pounds heavier? Are you just eating less food in general? Yeah, but I'm eating the same food less. Like I used to keep track of what I ate because about 15 years ago, I've started going to farmer's markets. And that's the whole clean food approach and, you know, da, 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 da. And so, yeah, I, you know, I wrote down and I pulled out those old lists. I'm eating the same things. But now I'm just aware of energy density and my happiness with the food I'm eating. Huh. And the rest takes care of itself. And I don't worry about individual meals. If you invite me over for your dinner, 
I eat whatever's put in front of me and I say thank you. Okay. I don't don't obsess about anything. I don't have any dietary restrictions, so I'm lucky. Like I do a farm to table dinner in um You sent me that information. Yes. And, and that was my first thought. I'm like, how is she able to do this big farm to table dinner? They're with... amazing. No, no, I'm not saying that that's not uh, I have no doubt that it's amazing, but I'm thinking to myself, how is she keeping 70 pounds off for five years doing these giant farm-to-table dinners? And the reason is because you never worry about one meal or one individual thing. Once you realize that your body's completely in charge, you can just calm down because your body goes, great, it's Christmas. We got a pile of food. Thanks. And the next day you're like, okay, I'm going to go. And, and it all sorts itself out. What happens to your body when you get super stressed? I eat. So business has been... Rocky, I eat. And I'm a big chocolate person. I have an entire shelf in my refrigerator devoted to chocolate. And not just one kind. There's C's, there's German, there's Swiss. And I'll eat. And I never lie to myself about what I eat. And at one point, my body, that's how I realized I wasn't a bottomless pit. Because at some point, my body goes, I've had enough chocolate. We're good right now. And I go, okay. <laughs> yeah, you really have to be in tune. Because my, It yeah. takes practice. But it's worth it. It's so worth it. So cooking for yourself. Yeah, I cook for myself and I cook everything at home. Cooking for one is different than cooking for other people. And well, How um, do you feel about cooking? Like, are you sick of cooking? No, I love to cook. Yeah, I do too, but I'm sick of it sometimes. What about alcohol? Let's talk about alcohol. Alcohol is 0.51. Every, every piece of alcohol you drink. So you put that into your energy density, whether it's wine, scotch, beer, whatever, it's 0.51. How much is one pint? Is that like five drinks? 0.51? You have to weigh it and see. <laughs> What's cool about this is that you weigh in. <laughs> you have to weigh it and see. What's interesting about this is because everything is done in grams, which is divisible, which makes this simple. You just weigh it and it'll tell you exactly how much energy density. But alcohol is full of energy. That's not why people drink it, but that's what it that goes into your body as. Hmm. Mm. What about smoking crack? <laughs> I don't think there's any nutritional value to that. So I okay. think it's a pass. I mean, it may affect other systems in your mm -hmm. body, but okay. yes. What's the stuff you can eat a lot of that doesn't have a lot of energy density, like vegetables? My, I love watermelon season because there's practically nothing in watermelon. Strawberries are very interesting because, and this I learned from the PBS thing, strawberries have half the sugar of blueberries, even though they may taste tons sweeter. The reason is because of science. When the strawberry is ready to be picked, it switches half part of its acid to sugar to trick you into thinking that it's sweeter than it is. What about that whole thing where, like, if you eat, what was that thing, where if you eat something uh, and it, it can, like, if you eat sugar, it converts to carbs, like that whole thing? What? Sugar converts to energy into your system. And again, that is a reflection of how much energy density you're taking in. So if your entire, entire diet consists of, sugar, it's going to take the first 144 and apply it to systems and store the rest. Now, I'm sure this will have other effects on you health-wise. And this is why I always separate fat from health. Because if all you take in in sugar, you're going to need some other things. But from an energy standpoint, that's what happens to sugar. Yeah. Here's what I'm taking away from all this. This is something that the American public would really have a hard time getting their mind around because it involves a lot of things. It involves work, paying attention, uh, diligence, commitment, and actually listening to your body. That and the fact that the diet industry is a 
huge, oh huge, God. huge moneymaker. Yeah. So if you can figure this out with a calculator and a scale from Amazon for 15 bucks, you don't need to spend billions of dollars on weight loss solutions. No, nor do you need to buy like products that are less fat, less this, less that. Correct. Because yeah. I found back in the day when I would eat stuff like that, I would gain weight. Yes. And I'd be like, why am I gaining weight on this stuff? This I is crazy. I agree with you a hundred percent. And I have a theory, like I said, I am not a scientist, but I have a theory that your body knows the difference. So when you take, when you eat real butter, for example, your body goes, thank you. I got real butter. I got this, this, and this out of it. Fine. You take in something that's not real butter, whatever it may be, your body goes, where's the fat? Did, did anybody see the fat? You know, just think of it as like some, you know, engineering department. I did not see fat come in. I saw the signal, but I didn't actually see it. And I think that screws up your internal working for your body. And I think, you know, I have a sister who has done everything you can possibly do except pay attention to your body. So bypass surgery. Oh, no. Um, really? Yeah. Drugs. She's eaten every low-fat, non-fat thing probably since puberty. And she still has an extra 80 pounds and her knees are shot. And I always said, you know, you're not eating real food. Your body knows the difference. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Bypass surgery. Talk about that for a minute. Like what? I don't know the details, but it's where they staple your stomach and they cut out a huge portion. So you're, yeah. you're going to eat less. I think that's what happens. All I know is it didn't work. She regained the 70 pounds. Really? Even after bypass surgery? Yes. Because the stomach that you have left expands to accommodate all the food yeah. that you... Oh, yeah. my God. And if you think of it from your body's perspective, you're screwing up with the internal... It's like taking a part out of your engine and your car's like, well, where's the, I don't know, the catalytic converter, whatever it is. I mean, I have a very organic approach to life and your body works just fine from the moment you're born until the moment you die. But you messing with it their consequences. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about, but that's my personal opinion, the drugs, whatever. I, if you just, just pay attention to what's going in interesting, and then pay attention to what's going out, the whole problem solves itself and you're happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, America would rather take a pill. Oh yeah. Then do the work. Yeah. Yeah. Ozempic yeah. is the, I mean, like I see celebrities on Instagram. I see like, I don't know, I don't know who's on Ozempic or not, but some celebrities are on there and they're looking better than they've looked in two decades. Well, you know, it's not just, um, whatever the current du jour thing is. I mean, when I'm like, I'm a, I'm around your age. And when I was 16, there was a product called AIDS, not the disease. I remember it was that, a product, AYDS. Yeah. Yes, AYDS. Yes. They came in a box and yep. you went to the, went to the um, pharmacy and you got them and they guaranteed that you would lose weight. And they were little chocolate squares. Like little chocolate fudgy squares. squares. Yep. And you would eat one and you were supposed to have a cup of tea and that was guaranteed to help you lose weight. Yeah. I ate a lot of those squares. I never <laughs> lost any weight. <laughs> okay. So every day, Decade has its own thing. I mean, if you look back at the decades of our lives, no fat, high fat, high carb, low carb. This, I mean, er, caveman, it, paleo, paleo, yeah, all this other stuff. Fen and this, fen. Yes, there's always something instead of just too much stuff is going in your mouth, and that really is the bottom line. Yeah, fascinating. That, it is fascinating because whenever I would post on Instagram about Cheez-Its or this, Lynn and I love Cheez-Its, and she would say, oh, I have a box in my freezer. I love Cheez-Its too. Or, oh, I have I, I love the toasty or whatever. And I think yeah. to myself, she eats Cheez-Its? Like, how does she eat Cheez-Its? Energy mean? density. They're one for one, by the way. So- um, <laughs> What do you mean one is, for one? Yeah, what does that mean? It means one Cheez-It is one, one carbon credit. So you eat 10, you've eaten 10 carbon credits. So if oh. you have 140, you've hit your limit for the day. Yes. Or you can forgive yourself and just move on. But yes. Well, that's okay. Let's talk about that. 
forgiving yourself. Yes. Passing judgment on yourself. Yes. Being hard on yourself. Yes. Hating food. Yep. Hating, hating yourself. Hating your relationship with food. Yes. Hating how what food does to you. Yes. How do you overcome all that crap? I mean, I hate to sound like some new wave thing. Just start loving yourself. Okay. Just accept it. Like, you know, when I feel like I must eat, I don't know, half a pound of C's candy because it is just absolutely necessary today, I go, okay, it's absolutely necessary. And um, I'll say, oh, I find I feel stressful or I'm angry or I'm pissed off. And this is why I'm, but I'm okay, fine. You know, and then you start to listen to your body and your body goes, I have had enough chocolate. And you go, okay, you know, but you have to, you have to kind of start thinking about your choices are the right choices for you, regardless of what you're putting in your mouth at that time. Yeah. And sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's memories. I mean, lots of times it's, you know, family related. I remember growing up, my dad had an inquisition, I think over Nutter Butter cookies because <laughs> somebody ate them and nobody was owning up to that. And he ran through the house on a Saturday night demanding to know who would eat them. I was like, I've never seen them. I hate peanut butter. It wasn't me. And to this day, <clears throat> I maintain that. And But yeah, I remember stuff like that. Who ate them? Nobody ever admitted. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but there are all kinds of food memories we have in our heads from family of origin, which is neither here nor there. It's just time to say, oh, that happened there. Okay, you're not going to blame dead people. You just have to get on with your life. But, yeah. But yeah, it's that kind of Well, let me of ask you this. Do you know anybody else who does this, what you do, this diet? Not diet, this way of looking at food? No. And it's very interesting because I do follow him on Instagram and- um, it's it should be required reading. This guy deserves a halo and a gold star because he like totally ripped the curtain back off of things. And it's really hard to explain because people, you know, they go, I don't get it. And I always say, well, it really is the old advice everybody gives you. You eat less. That's kind of it. But the difference is what you eat less of without the value judgment and an understanding of what your body does with what goes in your mouth. Yeah. What's this guy's name again? Ruben Meerman, M-E-E-R-M-A-N. Yeah. Ruben Meerman. I think he has TED Talks. I've never watched them. Um, but it's- They probably think he's kind of like a, a lunatic. No, I think it's valid. I just think they're, he's Australian. You know, Americans are big on not, not paying attention to something. Because it is a little complicated. But once you kind of figure it out- but I think the diet people are probably like, oh, no, that guy's crazy. You know what I mean? Like that because he, he would if, if people actually followed what he's saying, they would no longer need the diet people. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly. Well, they don't, it. Yeah, they, they don't think he's crazy, but he threatens an entire industry that yeah. makes mm -hmm. a friggin fortune. A huge industry. Huge. Yeah. yeah. Lean cuisine huge. would be gone. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny, really Jenny Craig, every, everything. The other interesting thing about this was ignoring calories opened up. Energy density is far more relevant than calories because there are things that calories are, it, it leads you in the wrong direction. So, for example, if you go to In N Out Burger and you get a double double, always delicious, um, that's 112 carbon credits right there. No problem, but you just understand that you're taking in 112 carbon credits rather than beating up cheeseburgers, In N Out, your desire to eat a cheeseburger, whether or not, you know, all the other things that come up, that's why. Well, I think it also, I, th I think other diets can work for people if yes. it changes their eating habits. Yes. Don't mean to say that, you know, they're all bunk. It is a personal choice. This obviously works extremely well for you. Exactly. And 
But according to what you're saying, I'm just texting the person who's uh, according to what you're saying, it's so based in science that it would literally work for anybody. Well, if you're human and breathing, it works for you. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Regardless. It's so you're out, Catherine. <laughs> Kidding. You are a big, huge, giant bitch. Thank you. I wanted to do more housekeeping in the beginning and you wouldn't let me. But that's okay. That's Whatever. Because we're talking about Lynn here. Yeah. Um, But you're right in saying that, you know, any diet works if it works for you. Right. You know, I knew a girl in high school that lost, turned into a skeleton by eating grapefruits because that was her thing. Grapefruits are also pretty low energy density. That's why it worked. Anytime anybody talks to me about their diet, they tell me about what they eat and I go, oh yeah, your energy density went down. I mean, it's that simple. You can just kind of cut through all the rhetoric and all the stuff about whether you should eat at 12 o'clock, three o'clock, percentages of this. And I mean, all of that, I just go, uh-huh. Did you? And I add, I added all of them and go, yeah, your energy density went down. Yeah, you went through all those hoops, but your energy density went down and that's why you lost weight. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go home and tell my mother about this and she'll be like, yeah, just eat less. She'll just be like, I, I don't understand why it has to be this big thing. Well, her mother weighs maybe 85 pounds. Well, now, but she never had a weight issue her whole life. She ate whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted, her entire existence. So in other words, she was listening to her body with all due respect. Exactly. Yes. That's exactly right. Yes. She was. And she didn't eat crap. She yeah. ate food. She ate food. Yes. She ate food. I think a lot of us don't get that opportunity, though, because we're around a lot of food all the time, and a lot of it's very tempting. So it's easy to eat a lot. The other thing, too, is exercise. All, all of your movements use up energy density, but exercise is not going to solve your problems because the thing is you'd have to exercise forever, like Dean on his eight-hour hike, to even remotely approach a breakfast hat. McDonald's, lunch at In-N-Out, and dinner with Chinese food. You'd be hiking for 14 hours. Yeah. Nobody nobody is going to be doing that. No. And yeah. honestly, in my own life, I mean, the mo whenever I've lost weight, like major weight, I, it, I wasn't exercising. I wasn't exercising at all. Yeah, it's not necessary. And that's what's kind of interesting about this. You don't have to exercise at all. All you have to do is count up energy density. Yeah. I mean, I know for myself that right around 100 is the baseline for my day period. Even if I'm sick, it's about 100. Below that, I'm not happy. Above 200, I feel stuffed and like expanded. But um, the bike riding I do is just enough to, for, to me to be healthy and take away some carbon credits, which is all I want out of it. I'm not going to go ride another five hours. I'm not. It's not one of these. But yeah, a lot of people think that exercise is the solution. It's part of it, but it's not going to cure your problem. Not if you've taken in 300 carbon credits and a bike ride only gives you 30 carbon credits per hour. What about when you get older? Do you, does your like age, does that affect the energy density, the, the carbon credits? I like think it goes down slightly, but it doesn't go down significantly. And that's what I kind of like about this. Cause I started this uh, five years ago when I was 58, which is at the age, as we're all told as women, our metabolism slows down and we get this big litany of sins that are occurring. It had no effect on that whatsoever. It goes out a little bit, but not enough to make a big deal of difference. So when you do your calculation based on based on what you are putting out every day, yeah, um, as you age, the number doesn't really change all that much. Not really. I mean, not not in a way that's significant. It's not like you're going to suddenly need half the amount of food that you were eating before. Because remember, seventy percent of the food that goes in our mouths goes to systemic functions. So just 
on a on a general given day, what does your diet look like? Like, what do you what do you eat in the morning? What do you eat for? Well, you, part yeah. of the healthy eating thing and part of the fact that I'm an antique dealer, I always try to eat vegetables in the morning because that may be the only chance I get to eat vegetables all day. Okay. Yeah, because she has a brick and mortar store. Yeah, I have so a she's store and I'm out and I'm out working. But like, I will eat like roasted cauliflower. I eat kale. I love baked potatoes because they have a really low energy density and a really high satisfaction rate. Um, bread with butter. Um, I also eat a lot of, I cook at home and I try to be economical about it. I eat a lot of grass-fed bison, for example. I make winter soups and stuff like that. But if I decide I'm going to have fried fish, like Dean and I were talking about Dinah's, which has my favorite fried fish, I go out and get fried fish. It's really good. Yeah. Um, so on an average day, I make sure I eat vegetables. Um, I eat a lot of chocolate because I like chocolate, but I also eat um, fruit, uh, low energy density fruit or stuff that I just want. I keep my refrigerator stocked so that I really don't have to eat out. I don't have to go out and purchase things for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, is there a shortcut? Can you go online and Google low energy density foods and just make a list what you of do, that? Yeah. And I, I've created one. It's in my computer. Because so, when I was really starting, I was like really forensic. I'm like, okay, I'm eating spaghetti. What's the deal? And I would, I get a program of anything I eat, whether it's Japanese, Chinese, Vietnamese, I have a little sheet in my thing that will give me my energy density. So just real quick to finish up, because we're heading towards the end of our time mm -hmm. here, and this has been wonderful. Well, thank you for, thank you uh, for listening everything. to me babble what about, on. What about a bagel? How much is a bagel? Hi. Well, it, it's wheat, so you yeah. have to calculate the energy that's density. Seven. Yeah. 7.7. Well, it, well, no, no, that's fat. Oh. Fat is 0.77. Wheat is 0.38. I'll calculate it for you when we get off air, and I'll be able to tell you straight away. And then whatever you add to it, cream cheese or whatever. But it's not the, the awful thing that people say that it is. Okay. Let's Got do it. some quick low energy density foods. Potatoes. Potatoes, watermelon, strawberries. Um, if you like vegetables, then, you know, cabbage, kale, all those kinds of things, okay? All of those things are low energy density. And it's just a question of what makes you happy. Yeah. Chocolate eclair makes me happy. <laughs> well, then you calculate the energy density <laughs> and off you go. <laughs> off you go. Listen, off I go. This has tuna, been... things like that. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love tuna. All right, listen, this has been fantastic. Please, and and we have to keep striving for health in any way that we possibly can. Thank you for all of this information. It's been great having you. Thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, and That's this is Bitching About Food. Okay, so bye. Bye. <laughs>